joining us online. We're so very thankful that you are with us this morning, and uh, we're blessed by your presence as well, and we hope that our worship service is not only a blessing to those of you physically here with us, but those of you online as well. And as always, reach out to us if there's any way we can serve you. And of course, it's very good to see brother and sister Teet, Sid, and Hilda. We're so very glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, still battling, but uh, not giving up. And uh, God is good. God has been taking care of you both. And you're both a testimony to God's, God's love and God's care and uh, your faithfulness to him, and I think an example of joy in Jesus. It's been easy to give up sometimes, I'm sure, but uh, you've kept your joy and been such a wonderful example to us of how to make it through difficult times. I think they're an example of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You throw something at me, world, and I can make it through if I hold on to Christ, and I think they've shown us that. Uh, and that's a wonderful example for all of us. Good to have you here with us. I was, uh, myself and Angelia and Jacob were able to go Friday, and we got back yesterday. Uh, we went down to the Challenge Youth Conference in Irving, and uh, that's just a wonderful program. So we thank you so much for the elders and their support of that. And the uh, parents, I want you to know that that's an outstanding program and Kenley's just doing a magnificent job and those who work with him, and we appreciate Kenley and Lacey so much for their, their service and their labor. And I was, I was nothing but impressed with uh, the Challenge Youth Conference. I got to meet Dale Jenkins and some others, and they just did a fabulous job. And uh, you know, I saw our kids you know, taking notes and singing and getting involved and uh, all the different things that they were doing. And we had, we had a good time. I understand they're on their way back now. So we want to continue to pray, pray for their, their safe travel. Uh, we're going to, in our second part of this series, we're doing on the atmosphere of the church, which we talked about last week. We're talking about really the culture of the church and, and being an active church. Um, so we, we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to look at three people from the Old Testament and kind of a storyline in the Old Testament. And I want you to know, I understand the Old Testament can be really hard to follow. Those names are big and weird a lot of times. And sometimes it's hard to keep track of the storyline and who's who and where's Persia and who's the king and who's Cyrus, all those different things. I understand. I've tried to make uh, what I want to look at today, I've tried to make it succinct. So I want you to also know there's a lot more there than we can cover in today. So I do want to encourage you uh, to, to read more about it. Uh, and these, all, of, all three of these uh, folks we're looking at today, as well as what's happening, I think, are ones that deserve uh, uh, more thorough attention further down the road to learn about uh, who they were, what they were about, what God was doing uh, but we're going to look at Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Now, if you look at the very end of 2 Chronicles, it's at the very end, chapter 36. It gives us a preview. Of course, we've also seen it coming because this is a storyline happening here. And we're just taking a magnifying glass and we're, we're looking in, or maybe even a microscope, and we're looking in on a, a part of the story. And so that means there's... 
excuse me, more that's happened before and more that's happened after, and there's more going on than what we can cover in, in one lesson today. But in the very end of 2 Chronicles 36, those verses 15 through 16, we, it sets the stage for us today. <coughs> excuse me. And let's read that together. This is, we've seen king after king in Jerusalem who's been evil and, and, and time after time the Bible records and so-and-so became king at, at such and such age and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes it says, and was more evil than his father. And so evil king after evil king among God's people. They were supposed to be good and righteous and, and lead God's people. Now, it was the people who wanted the king instead of God. So they asked for this, and that's what they got. But look at verses 15 through 16. The, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. He's talking about the Israelites and Jerusalem. Verse 16, but they kept mocking the messengers of God. Sounds like a parable that I remember. They, keep, they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. We don't like to talk about that part of God, that, that, that aspect or that, that part of the story of God. That's a very real part of the whole storyline of what God has been doing since creation and, and, and working with his people. But it's because, as we've talked about before, God is a perfect and holy God. But all he wants is for his people to love him back and be in his presence. And so God has had it. He has tried time after time after time, and they've done nothing but evil and turned from him. And so he has had it with them. He's tried to get them to turn back towards him, but they wanted to do nothing, they wanted nothing to do with God. He's had enough of their evil. So what did he do? He allowed the Chaldeans who lived there in Babylonia, he allowed them, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, you read about in other places, to come and conquer them and kill many of them. They didn't care if it was a man, woman, or child, old person, young person. They didn't care. They were wicked people. They came and killed anybody and everybody they wanted to. And whoever happened to survive, they were captured as slaves and taken back to Babylon. Babylonia to be, to be slaves, live as slaves there. And so uh, they even burned the temple of Jerusalem, burned it down. You know, we read about the temple in the Old Testament. They destroyed it, burned it down. They broke down the walls of Jerusalem. The whole city is destroyed. It's a wasteland like nothing we've seen before. And, and it's as terrible as it could get, but none of this had to happen had the people not wanted to fulfill their own fleshly desires instead of And we see Zerubbabel enter the scene. And the Israelites, they had been living in poverty and slavery for about 50 years at this point. Now, Zerubbabel, uh, he had been born there among them while they were uh, in exile in Babylon. 
So he came from among them as they were, they were in exile as slaves. Now, when Cyrus the Great, as he was called, or Cyrus II, he had defeated Babylon. So he comes after the fact, and Ezra was. So he takes ownership of the Israelites and all the land and all of that. But God was at work. We're looking at the atmosphere of the church, but looking at it and what God was doing in the Old Testament. God was at work, and Cyrus wasn't just a pure evil guy. When he conquered a land, he tended to let them kind of still be uh, you know, who they were and that sort of thing. And that, that gained him uh, uh, respect among them and, and helped with peace. So God worked with Cyrus to allow the Israelites to return to their home in Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel had already found favor with Cyrus, uh, King Cyrus, and he appointed Zerubbabel as governor over Judah and sent him back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Cyrus was okay with them going back home and rebuilding the temple. And the first things, I want you to see, the first thing that the Israelites did when they got back to Jerusalem, altar and make a sacrifice and worship God. And don't you think that's an appropriate thing to do after he had rescued them once again, allowed them to go back home and start over again? And they made an altar and made sacrifices and worshiped God. But then in, in Ezra chapter 3, we see that uh, they were about to start rebuilding the temple. After they had worshiped, then they wanted to rebuild the temple. Look at uh, Ezra 3, 1 through 6. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, and they built an altar of, God, uh, altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they worshiped there and praised God for his deliverance. Look at verse number 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. It was that destroyed that they had to totally rebuild. There was no foundation to build on. So then we see Zerubbabel lead the people to uh, lay a new foundation where the new temple would be built. Look at Ezra 3, 10, 10 and 11. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets. They celebrated that the foundation had been laid. Uh, and the sons of Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Listen to what they said. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, as I said, there's more to the story there, but we just we want to zero in on certain things along the way as we see God using these people to develop. To, he's trying to restore them back to him, and that has a lot to do with the atmosphere of his people, which is today his church. So God uses Zerubbabel to help restore the atmosphere among his people. They, they faced opposition, and they even stopped building the temple for about 17 
15 years. And it seems like Zerubbabel was discouraged. And God sent uh, 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 some of the prophets to come encourage him. And they resumed uh, rebuilding the temple. And now we, we get to Ezra. Uh, Ezra was at work to also help restore the people of God. And, 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 and God sent Ezra to do something else. So now the foundation of the temple has been laid, right? Now look at what Ezra did. In Ezra chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. So we see he's a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. He knows the word of God. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. God was with him. God was using Zerubbabel. Now he was using Ezra to restore his people to him. Verse 7, And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king, and I know that gets hard to follow. Look at verse number nine. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came from to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. Now, verse 10. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Do you see how God was using Ezra to help restore his people like he had been using Zerubbabel, but in a different way? So Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And then to do what? To do it. And not only to do it then, to what? To teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So now, after laying the foundation, God sends Israel... Uh, Ezra to the people to teach them his word, to teach them the law of God. They had been without it. And, and, and so it was refreshing and new to them and they needed to be restored and, and reminded and re-educated in the word of God. So Ezra goes to do that. He allowed the Israelites to return home to begin rebuilding the temple and now uh, Ezra was teaching people the word. So the temple is rebuilt, and now we get to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah uh, is the author of the, the author of the book of Nehemiah is concerned with purity of faith among God's people. Ezra and Nehemiah, you may not know, were written originally as one book, and they were they were eventually separated in two. This, this content is the same, but originally written all together as one. And so the author the, in, in Nehemiah is very concerned about the purity of faith of God's people. So we're seeing this picture of this atmosphere, this culture of God's people uh, coming together. The author strongly believes that an important part of restoring their faith in God is by keeping the commands of God. That's what Ezra's been working on. And by returning to God's will. And this is vital to their identity. So the word of God was vital to the identity of God's people. Uh, and so a part of this reformation was also, uh, and their identity was also connected to their physical city, which this is why Nehemiah, God used Nehemiah, and it had to do with their walls. Now, walls were used to keep uh, uh, people out, 
But they were also to mark boundaries and say, this is us, this is who we are. And so it was an important part, a wall was an important part of the identity of a people. And so now we see that there's a foundation and that there's the word of God being restored and, and, and the, in the temple. And now uh, the temple's been restored. And now God says, we need to put the walls around my people the way they used to be. He's, he's restoring their identity as his people. And that's what he was all about. And so uh, Jerusalem had no walls. They had been destroyed uh, by, the, by the Chaldeans. And so we first read about Nehemiah when he learns about the condition of the Israelites. And you remember we read in chapter 1 that he mourned for days. He cried for days uh, when he heard about the news of how God's people were doing. And he prayed to God, he praised God, he confessed the sins of his people, and he asked God, hear the cries of your people, and, and, he, and he's letting himself be used by God. Now, Nehemiah had an important position with the king. He was the cupbearer, and that doesn't sound very important maybe to us, but that was an important role that he had. So he had access to the king. And so when he went to the king, the king could tell something's bothering Nehemiah. Nehemiah isn't the same Nehemiah that, that I know. And so he asked him what was going on, and, and Nehemiah tells him, and look at verse number eight in chapter one, and the king granted me what I asked for, but look why. The good hand of my God was upon me. We've already seen that before with Zerubbabel and Ezra, haven't we? That God was at work among his people to restore them to him. Now, now notice, I want you to notice this. God's people. He wanted them to be restored. And God says, I got someone. And he gets Nehemiah to go back to rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah gets there in 2, 17 and 18. We see that he's inspected the walls. He's talking to the people. They get excited. And they say, let us rise up and build. He inspires them about rebuilding uh, their city, which is about their identity and being God's people. Now, again, they faced, uh, as, as Zerubbabel did, as Ezra did, they faced uh, 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 criticism. They, there was people that didn't like this, uh, namely Sanballat, Sanballat and Tobiah didn't like the idea of, of Israel being, of Jerusalem being restored and all of this. They, they criticized them and they caused him trouble. But look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, I'll read this quickly uh, so that we get the whole context, and then, and then we'll, we'll come to a close uh, as our time comes to a close. Look at Nehemiah 6, 4, starting in, verse, uh, starting in verse number 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. had a mind to work. Do you see that? 
So the people had been inspired and they're like, okay, Nehemiah, we want to work too. We want to see uh, God's people restored. We want this to happen. So they had a mind to work, to do the work that God had them to do. Verse number seven, but when Sandalet and uh, uh, Sambalet and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. Angry. They didn't like this. Uh, they didn't want to see this happen. This isn't what they had in mind, but it's what God had in mind. See, we're going to face opposition when we set out to do the work of God. But we've got to have a mind to work and do his work regardless of the opposition that we may face. And, of course, the thing is, we don't face any opposition compared to what they did back then and in the first century and in some parts of the world today. And so look at verse number Eight, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. So, so we hear this bad news. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we can't do it. You ever heard people say, what? it's just us. What can we do? We can't do that. That's too big for us. See, that's not, that, that was the attitude that was creeping in. And, and they were going to give up. They were losing their, their motivation, their excitement. And so in verse number 11, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. So they were willing to go to the point of death to stop the work of God's people. Look at verse number 12. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So even the other Jews, they're, 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 the, the other Jewish folks were saying, hey, give up. Just, just come, come live in our neighborhoods. It's fine. Don't worry about that. It's too much trouble. You can't do it. So sometimes even other Christians, as we would say today, will say, why are you trying so hard? Why are you, why, why are you putting so much effort into your faith and into the work that you do at your congregation? Just take it easy. Just sit back and relax. You don't need to put that much effort in. Why do you think uh, you can do all of those things? Just take it easy. Just relax. And, and look at what uh, is recorded in Nehemiah. Look at verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, Nehemiah stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So they prayed to God, but they also had to take some action. Uh, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, listen, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall. See, they got over the, they got over the fear and then they were excited again. Uh, they stayed faithful and each to his work. So we see that the Israelites had a mind to work. See, see, they had a mission to do. And so do we as a church today. We've got a mission. It's deeper than just showing up and maintaining a facility. It's deeper than a certain time on a certain day and wearing certain clothes and saying, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. It's deeper than that. We're God's people and we have a mission to accomplish. And they were rebuilding their lives and their relationship and their identity as God's people. And verse number nine, as I pointed out, they prayed 
to God and set guard as protection. You see, see, you can pray, but God's, God sometimes needs you to do something about what you're praying about. Now, there's sometimes maybe it's a health condition or something, and all you can do is pray. And there's not much else you can do. But uh, loss of somebody, whatever that might be. But he's, there's times when you need to pray and you need to take some action. And maybe perhaps every time there's some form of action you need to take. See, you might want to stop a, a sinful habit and you just pray about it. You say, well, why do I keep doing that? Well, you need to do something about it. You need to change your patterns. You need to change your thinking. You need to maybe get some counseling or talk to somebody about that. You want to improve a relationship? Well, you need to work on you. You need to do something about that. You want to improve your finances, you need to quit blowing your money. See, you can't just pray, God, please help me to uh, stay on budget. You need to quit going to, out to eat and buying stuff all the time. You need to take it easy. So you got to do something about what you're praying about. And we've been talking about how, how, how God was at work to restore his people to them. But notice they had a mind to be restored. You gotta want it. You gotta want to be a restored, vibrant child of God. When there was opposition by some of the Jews who lived nearby, uh, they were getting discouraged, but Nehemiah reminded them, and you gotta remind yourself when you get discouraged. And 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 I can only imagine as imagine as an elder, uh, maybe as a deacon, uh, you're you're working, you're serving, uh, and and maybe as a teacher, and and there's times when maybe you get discouraged, and maybe you just wonder, should I just quit? Should I just not do this anymore? Is it worth it? And Nehemiah helps us uh, helps us be encouraged. He says. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We serve a mighty God. And that's what this is about. And then in verse 14, also, what did Nehemiah say? Fight for your brothers. You might want to quit. Maybe you want to give up. But you fight for everybody else. You hang in there in your faith, in your service. Fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Don't give up on your faith because somebody's f coming after you. Somebody will follow after you. And this is about their faith too and their relationship with God also. See, they were building up their identity as God's people. They weren't just doing it for themselves. It was for future generations. And that's what we're trying to do is, is create an atmosphere of, among God's people here, a culture of being active in our faith, of, of expanding the kingdom of God here at the Bullard Church of Christ so, so we can be strong in our relationship with God and pass on our faith to the next generations and to, to lost souls in our area. And so, so We have to remember what this is all about as we did a series on this.
the most powerful in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's our identity and that's our mission. And because of that, we live out the great commandment and the great commission. we got to remember our why and who we serve and why we serve him. God worked with these folks to restore his people during that time. And God continues to work with us today. And in fact, if you keep reading, you realize that God's people didn't stay very faithful. It didn't go so perfectly well. Those guys, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, they made mistakes. They weren't perfect and they fell short. It wasn't all perfect. And we wonder, well, why? Well, because the Old Testament is setting us up for the New Testament when God sends his son to be that perfect sacrifice, to perfectly restore us in a right relationship with God. So it sends us right on on target to, to Jesus to see how he is the one who perfectly restores, how he establishes his church, and how he is that perfect savior, that perfect uh, builder, that perfect foundation, that he's that savior that we need to restore a right relationship with God and ultimately have eternal life in heaven. So it all points us to Jesus, who is our why behind what we do. If you need to restore your relationship with God, we want you to know we're here for you, always. Maybe you feel like you don't have a relationship with God. We're here for you. And we say, that's okay, just take steps in that right direction to have a relationship with Him. Or Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you have questions and want to study or pray. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we together stand and sing.